Good morning, Grace. Welcome to the boardroom. Uh, it's kind of like a little lottery. You get to guess where I'm going to be each week. Uh, but today we're in boardroom one. Uh, I wanted to kind of relieve some of the suspense. I think we've left you in suspense long enough. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we gathered a crew of uh, talented people together and began construction on an outdoor stage. There should be some images coming up on your screen of, of that construction project. It was actually a lot of fun doing that. Um, but before I tell you why we did that, let me just say uh, that we know that uh, we have to hold everything we're doing loosely and that while we have plans, those plans may change. Uh, Proverbs 16 has become sort of thematic uh, for me and for the church in this season. And that's that passage that says that man makes the plan, but God directs the steps. And uh, really what it's saying to me is we need to plan. We need to uh, plan with all of the information that we have right now, but uh, we also need to know that new information comes and plans change. God directs our steps. So what does all that mean? It means we have a plan, and I'm going to share what that plan is with you, uh, but we also know there could be new information uh, in the next few weeks that make us need to change our plans. So uh, as it stands right now, uh, we're going to begin to offer one outdoor service at 11 a.m., uh, weather permitting, uh, that will allow people to gather and still practice social distancing. We're going to begin that on the 21st of June. So we have a few weeks before it happens. Uh, and really, everything in the building will be closed except for the bathrooms. And the bathrooms will be uh, monitored, and there'll be somebody there who uh, cleans up uh, regularly and keeps them sanitized. So there'll be use of the bathrooms, but the rest of the building will be closed. Um, this is not drive-in church. Uh, what we want you to do is we want you to bring your own chairs. Matter of fact, we're even going to sell chairs the first few weeks, uh, those bag chairs, so you can uh, buy chairs from us. But uh, that way you can decide what you're comfortable with, how distant you need to be from people, how far back you want to be, uh, where you want to be. But uh, if we do it outside, we just know that it's a much more safer uh, in environment for us. It's much more safe. So uh, one service at 11 o'clock, but we're still going to continue to offer both of the online services at 9 and 11. And we're doing that because we want you to do what you feel comfortable doing. We want you to uh, uh, be there if you feel comfortable being there. We want you to be online if you feel more comfortable being online. Um, just one more thing. If you are a serial hugger, uh, I am a hugger, I am a handshaker, uh, we want to just ask that you would respect everyone else and refrain from that. As a matter of fact, uh, we're just going to ask you not even to shake hands uh, when we come back together for a while and just avoid the physical touch because not everybody is comfortable with that. And then you don't have that awkward moment where you want to shake hands and the other person has to say no. Uh, so no hugging, no shaking hands, no physical touch uh, at this point, but we're going to come together. Um, one of the things I found fascinating is we have a group of people that pray for you during the week and they do some listening prayer. They ask God, what do you want to say to us? Uh, and this week, uh, I want to just read what they sent me. Now, I'm not at that meeting, and they don't know what I'm about to talk about. Uh, so it's always fun to see how God speaks. But this is what they heard. Uh, God is proud of our church. I believe that he is. I believe you guys have really stepped up, and we've done a great job together. Uh, the second thing they heard is we need to be open to the Holy Spirit and act at what the Spirit is saying. And I agree with that 100%. And that's what we've been trying to do. Even this decision has been uh, bathed in prayer, and we just continue to ask, Lord, give us wisdom as we move forward. Um, but then listen to this. They said, as we begin to open up, we really need to remove any judgment or offense towards others. We need to clothe ourselves with tenderness and compassion towards others. 
We need to respond to one another uh, out of love and um, out of respect. We need to respond and not react. Uh, they used Colossians 3, 12 and 14. It says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. There is this picture of humility. It says, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Great verse for us to remember, uh, just to respect one another, to honor one another wherever you are in this process, however comfortable you are or however uncomfortable you are. Uh, we want to honor that and we want to respect that completely. Okay, <clears throat> just a reminder, outdoor service will begin uh, Sunday at 11 a.m., weather permitting on the 21st of June. Bring your own chairs, bring your own drinks, uh, and just enjoy uh, being out there, socially distancing, and practicing all the safe behaviors. Okay. As we uh, continue, uh, just pray for us. Pray for us as leaders. Pray for the leaders at Grace that we would just uh, be in tune with what God wants us to do. Okay, just a heads up. In a few minutes, we are going to take communion. And uh, we had the uh, Pick Up the Cup campaign where people drove by and Meg and I uh, gave out these prepackaged communion uh, servings. And so I'm going to give you just a minute to gather those things together and be ready for communion that we're going to take in a few minutes. Uh, if you didn't come pick up the cup, it's okay. Just go get some bread, some crackers, some juice, some wine, milk, whatever works for you. Uh, but just get ready for uh, communion that's going to happen in just a few minutes. All right, welcome back. Grab your Bibles, turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. That's the second book of the New Testament. Turn to chapter 10. Uh, I hope that all of you have your own Bibles in front of you and something to take notes on. I emphasize that every week uh, to have your own Bible in front of you because if you do that, it's going to help you to engage. It's going to help you to uh, learn to navigate your Bible uh, better. It's going to learn, uh, help you to learn how to uh, study the Bible more effectively. And if you take notes, it will help you to remember what we're talking about. Uh, I want to encourage the parents for just a minute. If you uh, haven't already, I just encourage you to make sure that everyone watching with us has their own Bible. Buy them a Bible if you need to. Uh, and also, it'd be a great thing to get everybody a journal. So you have your journals, you have your Bibles open. It would be great. In this particular passage we're about to read, uh, two of Jesus' trusted disciples are about to ask him uh, really an audacious uh, question. Uh, now, keep in mind, they have spent the last three years navigating and, and hanging out with Jesus uh, almost 24-7. And Jesus has emphasized uh, how to live, how to live with a kingdom mindset, how to have an eternal mindset. He's been teaching them for three years. And I say all that to say because uh, if they had just met, this question would make a lot more sense. But the fact that they would spent three years together makes the question even more audacious uh, than it would be if they'd have just met. So Mark 10, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 35, and we're going to read through verse 45. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask, whatever we ask you, whatever we ask of you. I'm sorry. James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to, up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am being baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, 
the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And then when the ten heard of it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this chance for us to uh, be together. Thank you for a chance for us to open your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture uh, that challenges us and reminds us of the kingdom way. Lord, I ask in the next few minutes that you would make uh, something crystal clear to each one of us, that you would speak to each person listening, whether they're in their living rooms or in their kitchen, uh, wherever they're listening from in their bedroom, that you would speak a word to each person listening, and that word would be life. Jesus' name, amen. This week, as I said, Meg and I distributed these communion elements in a campaign that we called Pick Up the Cup. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was fun to see you all doing the drive-through and getting a chance to talk to so many of you. Uh, but doing the campaign got me thinking about uh, this particular question. What is the cup? What is the cup that we are called to pick up? Beyond the metaphoric, you know, the, beyond this little cup, what is the actual cup that Jesus calls us to pick up? And I love this passage because it really helps to answer that very question. And to understand this particular passage, we have to understand exactly what John and, 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 and James were asking, the sons of Zebedee. What were they asking Jesus? Now, they don't really understand everything, but what they know is Jesus is about to come into his, his lordship, if you will, his, his kingship. And they know that that means something for all of them. And, and so in their minds, they're trying to figure this out. And, and there's no doubt at all that what they thought it meant is that Jesus would assume the throne as the king of Israel, that he would reestablish Israel as a power, that he would uh, overthrow the occupation of the, of the Romans. Israel, again, would become this great nation, and Jesus would be the king of that nation. Their thinking is very temporal. It's very uh, understandable, but it's temporal. It's, it's this world only kind of thinking. And he's encouraged them over and over to set their minds on eternity, but they're not. And in fact, as neither are the other disciples, they're, they're thinking the same way. And neither is the population in general, for that matter. If you go to the very next chapter uh, in the book of Mark, we see what they call the triumphal entry, right? And the people are clamoring to see Jesus and they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. What they're crying is, save us now save us now. They are begging for a king to assume the throne of David. And this cry for salvation, this cry for them to be saved, isn't about eternal salvation. It's about immediate salvation. It's about a, a temporal way of thinking. They want to be liberated, and who could blame them, from the occupation of the Romans. And that's why when it appears to them that Jesus can no longer solve their problem. When they see him beaten, they see him arrested, they know he's not going to become the next king to sit on David's throne in the way they thought he would be. That's why it's so easy for them to reject him, for, for their chance to go from save us now to crucify him. 
crucify him. The sons of Zebedee, they say to Jesus, when you become the king, can we sit one on your right hand and one on your left? What are they asking? They're asking to be the second and the third in command. They want to rule over everyone else. To sit at the right and to sit at the left means that you answer to no one but the king, but everyone else answers to you. And the truth is, they want what all of us want. They want what the other disciples want. They want power. They want influence. They want prestige. They want control. The passage said, when the others heard what they had requested, they became indignant at James and John. Why did they become indignant? Because they wanted what James and John's asked for, because James and John beat them to the punch and asked for the very thing that they wanted for themselves. Now, before I keep going, I want to remind you of something that I say all the time. When you are reading the Bible, when you're reading a Bible story, when you're reading a story of a people, or you're reading a story of a of person, and they are acting all the, the fool, Instead of saying to yourself, how could that person, how could those people be so dull? How could they act like that? Instead of asking that question, the question you should be asking yourself is, how am I just like them? Right? How am I just like them? How am I just like those crazy Israelites that keep turning their back on on God? How am I just like Jonah who runs from the very calling that God gives them? How am I just like James and John who see Jesus as a means to, to an end, Jesus to get more of what they want in this world? And the one that hit me hard this week is, how am I just like the crowds? When I don't get from Jesus what I thought I was going to get, when he, when he doesn't fulfill my temporal needs, how do I find myself turning on him the way the crowds turned on him? The fact is, we are all somewhat like, John, like uh, James and John. John Stott, in his book, the, the Cross of Christ, writes these words. Our world is full of James and Johns, go-getters and status seekers, hungry for honor and prestige, measuring life by achievements and everlasting dreams of success. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he tells them, you don't know what you're asking. You're, you're clueless about this. You're, you're very confused. And then he asks them this odd question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? Now, I don't want you to mistake this. James and John are, are still very confused. And they say, yes, we can. And Jesus says to them, you're right. You can but let me tell you what exactly you just committed to. Let me tell you what it really means to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism which I've been baptized. Let me tell you what this cup really is, what it really means for every follower of Jesus to pick up this cup. I love this. Instead of hammering them because of their audacious question, he uses it as a profound teaching moment. Jesus, the master teacher, Jesus says, okay, I know you're confused, but I'm going to use your confusion to show you a better way of thinking. So look at what the passage says. It says, there are, basically what Jesus is saying is there are two completely different ways 
of viewing the world. There's two completely different ways of responding to the world. There's two completely different ways of leading and being within this world. He says that, that in the world's way of thinking, look at verse 42, you know that those who, consider, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. What's he saying? He's saying the world system is a system about power and control. It's about ruling over other people. It's a system of lording over everyone else. Politics and the structure around politics. It's about power and control. Racism is about power and control. Make no mistake, the, the senseless murder of George Floyd, Amon Aubrey, and, and other people of color is all about power and control. Oppression of a nation, oppression of, of a people group, it's always about power and control. It's a world's way of thinking. The blatant history of, of misusing scripture to promote male dominance or to promote slavery for that matter was always about power and control. Power and control, power and influence. It's the world's way of thinking. And Jesus says, there is a better way to think. He says, there's a radical way to think. There's a game-changing way to think. He says to them, what he says to them becomes, listen church, what he says to them becomes the catalyst for, the, for his church. What he says to them is what actually allows the church to change the world. It applied to them then and it applies to us now. Jesus says power and control is how the world operates. But then look at the words he says, but it shall not be so among you. I like the simplicity of the NIV translation. Those same words just say, but not so with you. This is how the world thinks, but not so with you. And we are called to be not so with you people. We are called to see the world differently. We are called to respond to the world differently. And when we do, it changes everything. This is what it looks like to pick up the cup. Instead of ruling over, instead of power and influence and prestige, look at what it says. It says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. Let that sink in for a minute. Who wants to be a slave to all? And then Jesus makes this proclamation and, and makes it clear that not only is this the way, but this is the way that he lives and the way that we are supposed to live like him. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. King of kings and Lord of lords becomes slave to all. This is one of the places where living into the mission at Grace gets difficult, right? What is our mission? We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. But to live like Jesus is to be a slave to all, to serve without any expectation of reciprocation. I've been in leadership a long time. Uh, in business, I was in leadership. At the church, I've been in leadership for a long time. And on some level, I have learned and I understand the need to serve. I understand what servant leadership is. I don't always do it, but I understand what it is. It's a great way to motivate people. It's a great way to win favor from the people that work with you. 
But make no mistake about this. What Jesus is talking about, what he is proposing, is not a leadership tactic. He is saying, lay down your position of authority and influence and wash stinky feet. Jesus says, this is what I came to do, and this is what I am calling you to do. Lay down your life for one another and be a slave to all. There's two radically different ways of of seeing the world and responding to one another. One way is the Jesus way, the not-so-with-you way, being a slave to all. And here's the truth. The church cannot thrive if we are competing with one another for power, prestige, or influence. Even if we are just competing for attention, it will cause all kinds of problems. The only way the church will thrive is if we pick up the cup and we embrace the not-so-with-you way of life. We thrive when we pick up the cup. We thrive when we become slaves to all. Our desire to be anything other than slaves creates all kinds of relational havoc. I believe this to the core. I believe that the COVID-19 season, this pandemic, is a season of opportunity for the church. The church has always thrived in seasons of crisis when it picks up the cup and becomes not so with you people. The scripture says if you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. The scriptures say if you want to be first, you have to be willing to be last. And Jesus modeled it. Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a human, but not just a human, a slave, but not just a slave, a slave who was willing to go to the cross and sacrifice his life for you and for me. We have the opportunity to wake up every morning and pick up the cup, the cup of sacrifice, the cup of of suffering on behalf of others, the, the cup of service. And the question is, are you willing to pick up the cup? In your home, are you willing to pick up the cup and serve your spouse or your kids? At work, are you willing to pick up the cup and serve that obnoxious boss that's been so hard to work for? Or how about those cranky coworkers? What about your angry neighbor? I want to stop for just a moment, and I just want to give you a question to think about. In this season, COVID-19 season, where is God opening opportunities for you to serve? Where are there opportunities for you to pick up the cup and be a slave to all? Now make no mistake, the Bible is clear. While we were enemies of Jesus, he laid down his life for us. He served us while we were giving him the Heisman. There's this amazing moment in scripture that I want to point out. Jesus is agonizing in the garden and he knows exactly what he's about to to suffer. The pain, the agony, the beating, the, the weight of all of our sin. And Jesus says to God, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, could you do that? But then he says, but this is the very reason I came. Not my will, 
but your will. So he picked up the cup and he served, he sacrificed, he laid down his life for you and me, became a slave to all. And Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me, are you willing to be not so with you people? Are you willing to pick up the cup and follow me? I'm going to transition to communion and this metaphor of cups continues to play out. Just a week after this exchange with Jesus and the sons of Zebedee, uh, he's sitting in the upper room and he's celebrating the Passover meal. A Passover meal that had been celebrated by the Jewish people for 1400 years that celebrated that, that liberation from the slavery in Egypt. And every Passover meal, uh, the story of the Passover would be told. And it would be told using four cups. And the four cups really just represent chapter headings or ways for the host to remember all of the different elements of the story that was about to be told. The first chapter, the first cup was the cup of slavery. For 400 years, the people had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And they talk about all of the torment and how lost they were in that season and how much they suffered amidst their slavery. The first cup, the cup of slavery. But the beautiful thing is God didn't leave them in that place. God showed up, right? And so the second cup is the cup of plagues. They would drink from this cup, but they wouldn't drink from this cup. We'll go figure, being the cup of plagues. But they would use this cup to talk about the mighty hand of God who sent the plagues. Remember the 12 plagues, blood and locusts and, and all that went on, ending with the 12th plague, right, which was the death of the firstborn sons. The people were in bondage. They were in slavery. And they needed to be liberated, but the only way to be liberated was by the hand of God. So God shows up and does something that no man can do. Remember, when it came to the last plague, they were told, if you would kill an unblemished lamb and spread the blood over your doorpost, the angel of death would pass over your house and no one would be killed. That's why it was called the Passover. Jesus is the unblemished lamb. Jesus' blood is the blood that was shed so that the angel of death will pass over you and me. The third part of the story, the chapters that's being told, is the third cup. So when you read the accounts of, of the, the first supper, when, or the last supper when Jesus is in that upper room, he's picking up the third cup. And this was called the cup of sacrifice. It was sometimes called Elijah's cup because someday uh, a man was going to come, a Messiah was going to come in the spirit of Elijah, and he was going to rescue the people. This is the cup that Jesus is holding in that story when you read it in the Gospels. Jesus picked up the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. There was so much going on in that upper room. I just wanted you to catch the, the imagery in the four cups. So we're going to take communion together. So hopefully you, you have all the elements there in front of you. Um, but on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread after the dinner, the dessert bread, the bread that had been laid to the side in a clean white linen cloth. And he unwrapped the bread from the white linen cloth and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body broken for you. 
And he said, every time you're together, every time you take it, remember the sacrifice that I made for you so that you could be reconciled to God. This is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me. Let's take together. The scriptures say in the same way he took the cup, the third cup, the cup of sacrifice. And he said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of sin, a new covenant, the new covenant that I will be their God and they will be my people and I will put my spirit in them. We live under the new covenant because of the sacrifice in the blood of Christ. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. You can take it. Lord, thank you for uh, an opportunity for us to remember that you laid down your life, that you really sacrificed for us, that you became a slave to all. Thank you for your body and thank you for your blood. Amen. So some of you are wondering, well, what's the fourth cup, Doug? I'm glad you asked. The fourth cup is the cup of praise. As a matter of fact, when you read the gospel account, some of them say that after the supper, the disciples went out singing a hymn because that was the tradition. At the fourth cup, they would sing together. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes here and we are going to sing. And I want to just encourage you uh, to let the, the words of this song uh, minister to you. Uh, take it in and let's sing together. They'll sing. Lord, thank you so much for another Sunday for us to be together. Thank you for the technology that allows us to do this. I just ask that you would be with us throughout this day, that you would help us to know what it really looks like to be not so with you people, that we would be willing to lay down our lives for one another, serve sacrificially, Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder that Meg and I are going to be in the virtual lobby in just a couple of minutes. So if you want to switch over to Facebook Live again and uh, check out that page, we would love to hear from you. I'd love to uh, just hear your questions or if you have any comments about the message, that would be awesome. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.